0: Praise God. So we're in 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we got to an amazing pace last week under verse 4, I believe it was. And um, however remember, remember the study about the election. And we, did, we talked about election. And uh, we went into that really good. And, you know, when it comes to election, it's not really, I don't think, you know, Bible scholars have been fighting about this subject for centuries. But it's not really, to me, when you look at what the Bible has to say about election, God's not trying to prove that he, he's not trying to make a point about himself. I think he's trying to encourage us. And there's a really cool verse in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So let's go there real fast. Deuteronomy 7. And, uh, you know, it's a Bible study. And we like to flip through the different places of the Bible. And uh, one of the best ways to learn the Bible is to go through the Bible. So I hope you got your uh, finger turning thumbs with you tonight. Amen. All right. Deuteronomy chapter seven. And we're looking at. um, Verse six. Let's see what that says. Um, Say amen when you're there. Praise God. All right, verse 6, chapter 7, Deuteronomy. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. All right, so when the Lord speaks of election, he wants us to take it seriously because he wants us to know that we're a special people. Yeah. And he wants us to act like we're a special people. Right. He wants us to know that we're to be different with purpose. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of people that want to be different for their own personal identity. But, the, you know, that's why these teenagers color their hair in so many different colors. <laughs> you know, they just want to make a statement, don't they? You know, they just want to do something that makes them stand out from the crowd. Now, for us, and you can have purple hair in here tonight. I'm not against that. That's okay. But as far as you being elected by God, God wants us to be special. He wants us to know that we're to be different than our neighbors. And that's what was going on with the Thessalonians. Now we saw last week that the church was only a month old. Paul was only, well, it wasn't a month old when he wrote the letter, but it he was only in um, in this city for about three for three Sabbaths, so roughly about a month. Paul wasn't in the in the town very long. As a matter of fact, they pushed him out of the town because they thought that he was going to have the same thing happen to him that happened up in Philippi, where You remember the story in Acts and, you know, he was persecuted there. And so he came into this city black and blue and pretty beat up from the city before then. And they were nervous that, you know, the same outbreak was going to happen there. So they moved him on. And as he was going down to um, making his way down to Corinth, he sent Timothy to get a report on how the church was doing. And Timothy came back with a strong report saying they're, they're alive and they're standing for the things that we taught them. And he was so overjoyed that they were still going for the Lord that he penned this letter as an encouragement to them. And this is probably, like I said last week, most Bible resources say this is probably the first letter that Paul wrote um, in the New Testament. Some, some, some maybe think it might have been Galatians. Um, some maybe think of this. And this is the model church. Paul doesn't really have too much to criticize the Thessalonians like he did the Galatians. He really, it's just one of encouragement and commendation. He's really, remember the letter that Jesus wrote to the, um, to the uh, Philadelphian church. There's no criticism in that, in that letter um, in the book of Revelation. This is a pretty similar letter. There's, there's just full of praise and thanksgiving And we saw last week in verse 3, he commended them for the work of faith, for the labor of love, and for the patience of hope. Amen. Amen. And that's the triple bound cord that's not easily broken. When a church is flowing in the work of faith and the labor of love and in the hope of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, that makes a strong church, praise God. And we saw Jesus taught us that the work of faith is what? To believe on who? Jesus. Jesus, Or he said, believe on him whom he has sent. Amen. And that's really important. To believe that Jesus is whom God has sent. Praise the Lord. So, verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, that your election, knowing your election of God. And we saw again That's a heavy theological topic. You think that speaking about the election of God, that we might save that for a three or a four, maybe even a 10 year old Christian. But these guys were three weeks old in the Lord. And Paul has given them sound doctrine and he's given them meat. Amen. He's given them the stuff that they need to have. We should not shy away from the hard things of scripture, but we should dig deep and try to get a good meal out of it. Amen. Now, Verse 5, Paul here saying, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance, as we know what manner of men we were, as you know, sorry, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul is always talking to the church that he did not come. Corinthians chapter 2 says that I didn't come in enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, but I came in demonstration of the power of God. It's interesting that he said that to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians. When Paul was in Athens in the book of Acts, he said that he began to talk to the scholars and the philosophers there on Mars Hill. And I kind of think that Paul maybe learned a lesson in Athens. He was trying to get maybe a little philosophical with them. Because in Acts, there's no record of a strong church that was actually founded in the city of Athens. There was no great work left there. And it's interesting that in Thessalonians, he says, I came not in man's wisdom, but in the power of God, he tells the Corinthians, I didn't come trying to fool you with man's wisdom and his philosophies. But I, he says, I choose to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. He says, and the power of God was the witness. And, you know, we as a church, we can get caught up in a lot of a lot of goofy things are things that just waste our time because they seem to be the trendy thing that is what most churches are doing. You know, I, most some of you in this room have been in church a lot longer than I have. Um, I came to the Lord in 1994, fully on fire for God. Um, when I was 24, had an encounter, strong encounter with the Lord that made an impression on me when I was a small boy. Um, And then i messed around in and out of the church as a teenager. But when I was 24, the Lord really got me by the scruff of the neck. And uh, and, you know, he 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 really he straightened me out. Amen. Amen. And uh, so I've been in the church since 94. And it's funny how contagious things will get in church if the church over there is doing it and they're having success, the pastors meet together and then they say, well, maybe we can do that. And then they try to do it. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of trends, if you know what I mean, a lot of things that are popular. And really I don't see Paul doing that. As a matter of fact, he told the Galatians, he said, when I first got saved, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. In other words, what he's saying is, is when I got saved, I didn't go down to Jerusalem and ask Peter how to do it. He went to the Arabian desert and he got full of the Holy Ghost and he came back and he did it the way God wanted him to do it. Amen. He said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. And sometimes, you know, we just have to confer with the Holy Ghost. We need to confer because it's his power, man, that is going to back up the words of scripture and the gospel. That's really church. And you, most of you guys know this. We love the Holy ghost in this church. And we, all we need is the power of God. Amen. We need the, we need his power. So he said, I didn't come to you in word only, but also in power. You know, the old saying too much word. And you dry up too much of the spirit. And you blow up. But if you got the word and the spirit, you grow up. Amen. Amen. We don't want to be, we don't want to dry up. We don't want to blow up. We want to grow up. And so a nice healthy diet of the Holy Ghost and of the word of God makes a healthy church. And that's what the Thessalonians had. And he said, I also came in the assurance. In other words, the assurance of your salvation. So, man, he's talking election. He's talking the assurance of salvation. You know, these are deep subjects. Because the assurance of salvation, eternal security, has been debated for centuries again. What does the Bible really say about assurance of your salvation? Well, it says, and turn with me in Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah chapter 32, and we're going to be looking at verse 17. How do you know, what is the assurance of our salvation? 32, what I say, 17? All right. Start with verse 16. It says, the judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. And the work of righteousness shall be what? Peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So what is the effect of the righteousness of God that has been imparted into us? Peace, quietness, and assurance. Those are one of the, that. That's how you can really tell if someone's saved. You know, if if someone says, "I'm saved, brother," I go to church, and they don't have the peace of God. There's no righteousness that is being affected in them. And what is that righteousness? We know in Corinthians it said, "He who knew no sin became sin." that we might become the righteousness of God. That's powerful. And that is a hard thing sometimes for us to get our heads around that we are the righteousness of God. But listen, this this is the facts. To us, for us to deny that we are the righteousness of God is to look away. From the cross. Amen. And it's for us to roll the stone. Back over the empty tomb. Because the Bible tells us in Romans. Pastor taught us. That he. Was delivered for our offenses. And he was raised for our justification. So your sin. Put him on the cross but his resurrection gave you the righteousness of God. Amen? That's why it's important to preach the death and resurrection of Jesus. I always say, empty cross, empty tomb. One of the problems that our Catholic brothers and sisters have is they still got Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross. Really, what we had to do is be walking around with a couple of I don't know what do they call them tombs an empty tomb like a like a I don't know what I don't know what the tomb looked like you've been there pastor what's it look like like a a cave oh, Just walk around with an empty cave around our neck You know cuz that's really the reality is is his resurrection that he is not there You know he's risen from the dead and because he is risen from the dead it is proved to every believer that you too will be raised from the dead. Amen? In your physical body, but also already upon your faith in your spirit on the inside. How many came alive when they believed on Jesus? I came alive, man, I know. You can see the light bulb come on. Amen. You can see the light come into people's eyes when they believe. Yeah. Praise God. So the effect of of righteousness is assurance. So if somebody is struggling with the assurance of their salvation, you got to take them back to the root of the problem is they're really struggling with their righteousness in God. Amen. Because once you know you are the righteousness of God, you are, there is peace. There is a quietness in your soul. You don't have to strive or work for your salvation. And there's an assurance that you are saved. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. So they had that assurance. And he says later on, and as you know, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. We'll talk about the kind of manner that they were among them later on. It's going to talk about that. So we won't dwell on that too much. So back to the letter, verse six, and ye became followers of us. And of the Lord, having received the word in what? Much affliction. They didn't receive the word with the people around them thinking, Wow, that's a great idea. Now you got to understand something about this city. This was like Miami. It used to be called Therma because it had hot springs there. And all of the Roman citizens, the whole empire would come to vacation in this place. So I'm sure there was all kinds of temples, all kinds of festivals. There was a lot of of things going on, amen? Anybody ever been down to Miami? Anybody ever been to Las Vegas? So you know what I'm talking about. Now imagine, and Pastor shared his testimony, which I loved when he was working at the hotel, But imagine all of a sudden now receiving the word, being filled with the Holy Ghost, with power. And now you're starting to be convicted about some of the things that you're doing. The job that you're working, the the people that you're hanging out with. Maybe you were a bartender and you all of a sudden feel guilty now about pouring drinks and contributing to people's debauchery. Maybe you want to back off from that. But maybe your uncle's the one that owns the bar. And now he doesn't have a bartender. And he's now putting pressure on his, his brother. And your dad is saying, you're not quitting that place. Lots of tension. When you get really get saved, there's affliction to the soul. There's an affliction. You know, I remember... You know, when I had to face the truth and tell people that I thought I loved and who I thought loved me, that as far as my life was concerned, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ and I'm going to live according to the gospel. Well, that wasn't very popular amongst my friends and the people that I thought I loved me. And there was affliction. There was great affliction. It says... But they received the word in much affliction, but with what? Joy Joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And that's so great because the word came with affliction, but joy in the Holy Ghost. What's that? What's it say? Uh, What's that one scripture where it says, but joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Amen. What's he talking about there? Well, that can be prophetic. We are in the night hour right now, waiting for the dawn of the arising of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So weeping may come, we may have to endure for a night, but boy, when we see his face, man, we're not going to be crying about the affliction of our souls. We are just going to be joyful and happy. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Joy in the Holy Ghost. 30. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And so we saw here that, uh, you know, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, happiness is, comes from the word happenstance, which makes me think of circumstance. Mm. And a lot of people want to be happy. And they're always trying to change their circumstances to be happy. Um, you know, when Catherine and I got married, we got married on a potluck dinner. And a lot of people are trying to get married with a big old feast and a big old party and, and, and you know, this grand thing to make the day happy. But I'll tell you what, when I stood there and made my vows to her, I didn't have happiness. I had joy in the Holy Ghost. I had a deep deposit of joy. I I felt God's presence at that altar. And, you know, and that's what will keep you going for the rest of your life. Amen. Amen. Verse 7. so he says, so you also, you were in samples or you were an example to all them that believe in Macedonia and Achaia or Achaia, Achaia. All right, that'd be Greece combined today, Macedonia and Achaia. So not only were they had all these things, but they were examples to the people around them. In verse 8, it says, And for from you sounded, or the better word in the Greek is published, from you it was published, or the word of the Lord was published, not only in Macedonia, but also in Achaia, and also every place your faith toward word is spread abroad. So they were evangelism. They were soul winning. They were not only did they receive the word, they were publishing the word. They were taking the word out. Three weeks old, four weeks maybe, five weeks old. These brand new church is taking the word out and getting it into the world. Verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in or how we came in unto you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What a great verse. You turned to God from idols. Many people are trying to turn from idols to God. You've got to turn to God from idols. Replacement theology, amen? You know, so many people are trying to say, I'm just not gonna do this. I'm just not gonna do this. If I just stop doing this, then maybe I can get involved in this. If I just stop doing this, and then I can maybe turn to God. Maybe if I get, you know, I'll take care of this relationship first. I'll I'll break up with her, Lord, and then I'll come serve you and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't work like that. We have to turn to God. And in turning to God, we're turning from our idols. Amen. And that's the way it has to be. You know, you can't go from something. You can't go, you know, anyway, enough said on that. I'm going to talk my way into a tongue twister there. (laughs) Now, also, he said, look, he said, and you turn to serve the living and true God. See, man, we know Athens was a place. Greece was full of idols. You know, the Greek mythology that we learned in school. That's all just a load of hogwash. It's not true. And they're not living. Okay. You know, statues do not speak. I love pastor's message on Sunday, man, about day gone. You know, I thought about that, pastor. You know, when they walked in, they saw that statue laying on the floor. You know what they said? Day gone it. He fell. Day gone it. Day gone it. He's on the ground. He said he cut his arms off, took his arms off, took his head head off. You know, statues cannot speak. Isaiah rebuked the Israelites. He said, why have you turned to gods that cannot hear and gods that cannot speak and gods that cannot save? Gods that do not have hands that can reach down. Gods that cannot deliver. You know, that golden calf was not there when the Red Sea parted and delivered the tribes of Israel. Amen. There was no golden calf. He didn't tell Moses, Moses, take a golden calf and stick its feet in the water. He didn't say that. It was the power of God, the living and true God that delivered them. But the reality is this, guys, and and most of us already know this. Men serve idols because idols don't convict men of sin. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Look Hollywood. Now, we don't serve statues anymore, but we serve um, ideas like evolution and different isms that are in the world. Even capitalism, as much as I love this country. People can serve capitalism more than they do almighty God. You know, there's a lot of isms in the world that people are serving. And isms are based on the one ism, and that's humanism, which is man's wisdom. And it just, what it does is, is it makes them in charge. Because we know at the heart of man, he doesn't want to submit, does he? He doesn't want somebody over him. So, all right. Verse nine, I love verse nine and ten, man. That'd make a great placard, you know, because look at what ten comes. He says, You turn from God, from idols, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And that's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to serve and we're supposed to wait. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Serve and wait serve the living god and wait for the appearing of his son from heaven and that's what we're to do and that's why it's so important that we gather here like this because this is what helps me wait i don't know what i'd do without church you know and just just because i'm a teacher and a worship leader you know here in this church doesn't make me it's not why I love assembling with you guys because I have a job to do. I love assembling with you guys because I'm telling you, every time I leave this building, I feel better than when I came into it. Amen. It does something to me. And hey, just because you've got a job to do in church doesn't mean you always feel like coming to church. There'll be many times I'll be like, honey, man, can I maybe call a pastor and say on my toes, I got an ingrown toenail? she would be like, no. And I'll be like, all right, I'm going to church, man. And boy, those are the days, man, where God hits me the most and I just feel the greatest. On the days where it's so much pressure to not come and be with you guys, you know? And so, and then the last part of verse 10, he says, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. We do not have to be afraid of the wrath to come. When Pilgrim's Progress, anybody ever read that book? When Pilgrim was... How many have read that book? Pilgrim's Progress was written by a man named John Bunyan in in Bedfordshire, England... And it was probably back in those days, it was next to the Bible, the most distributed piece of literature in the world. And basically, however many ever heard of uh, Rick Joyner's, um, what's that one vision book he wrote about the dream? Um, uh, Well, it's out of my head. Anyway, Pilgrim's Progress. Great book. Go ahead and read it. And what I was going to say about that was his Pilgrim, they got the, coming the Pilgrim's Progress movie. Yeah. If they got that movie, go go watch that. But, but my point is, is this, when Pilgrim was heading towards the city, he had a burden on his back. And he was said he was fleeing from the wrath to come. And he didn't, he was, it was the, it was being scared of God's wrath that put him towards the cross. But once he met the Lord at the cross and that burden fell from his back, he no longer was afraid of wrath. He just now his motive was to see his face. You see, originally I was afraid of hell. It originally got me walking towards the Savior. But once I met him and was saved and had salvation, I no longer was afraid of hell But what kept me going is I just want to see the one that delivered me from hell. And that's what keeps us going. And so it says he delivered us. That's past tense. Amen. Amen. He delivered us from the wrath to come. Not he will deliver. The word delivered there actually means to place out of reach. To place out of reach. I need to deliver the cookie jar from my son, Ethan. (laughs) I need to deliver the scissors from my son, Ethan. Catherine found him today. He chopped the whole backside of his hair off, trying to front bit, trying to be a barber. Crazy. In other words, I need to put the cookies out of reach. Amen? So when the wrath of God is being poured out on planet Earth, God is going to take you and put you out of reach. Amen? He's going to put you out of reach. We like to call that the rapture of the church, and we'll get more into that later. Amen? Amen? He's going to put you out of reach. Now, chapter 2. We got a little more time here. We got about 15 more minutes, all right? Praise God. Now, look at chapter 2 here. Well, let me just show you real quick while we're on that wrath to come. Turn over to Revelations chapter 6 real quick. I got a note there. And I'll show you where the wrath is so you guys know in Revelation where the wrath starts. Because God's word is very clear that we'll have affliction. Jesus said, even in this world, you'll have what? Tribulation. Tribulation. But it never says that we will experience his wrath. So, Revelations chapter 6 and verse 17. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right. So, look at this. Best place to start this is probably uh, verse 15. You know what? This is good. Let's start all the way to 12. All right? Now, in verse 12, it says, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man. That's a lot of man, amen? amen? They did what? They hid themselves in dens and in rocks of the mountains. And they said to those mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the what? <laughs> wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? Amen. Amen. So we see there after the sixth seal, the wrath of God is being poured out. So I'll tell you who's going to be able to stand. We are. Because we're not going to be there. As a matter of fact, we're going to see here in a minute, we will actually be rejoicing. Now, that's a hard thing to think about. The Bible talks about the gospel or the everlasting gospel, which is the gospel of judgment. How can judgment be good news? Well, we're going to find out here in a minute. As a matter of fact, I'll take the next 10 minutes and talk to this about this. Look back in verse five where it says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only. All right. If you're taking notes, if we talk about the gospel, the gospel in scripture is, there are four places or four different types of gospel in the scripture. All right, the first one is called the gospel of the kingdom. All right, and the second one is the gospel of the grace of God. Then we have what... We know as Paul's gospel when he says my gospel or the gospel that it was entrusted to me, he says. And then we also have the everlasting gospel. All right. Now, if you want to know about the gospel of the kingdom, we've got to go to the kingdom gospel, which is Matthew. All right. Matthew is written to with a Jewish flavor in mind. It was written to present Jesus as the Messiah. And, um, and as the king. So look at um, first start and the end of the gospel in Matthew 24. And if you find Matthew 24... Verse three. Is that where is that what I'm looking for? Huh? Let me see. It Verse fourteen. Verse 13 says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. All right. So the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Well, the first place you can find this is that prophecy that Nathan gave David. And you can find that in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can turn there with me if you want. I'm going to read it to you because it's powerful. This is known as the Davidic covenant that God made to David. 2 Samuel. Samuel chapter 7. And it starts in... Um, eh, verse 8 is probably good. Let's read this together. It says, Now therefore, talking to Nathan... Um, Say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts. I took thee from the sheep pen, from following the sheep to be a ruler over my people Israel. And I was with thee, wheresoever thou wentest, and have cut off all of your enemies out of your sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. All right. Now look at verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish what? His kingdom. kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. All right? So that is the kingdom gospel. That is what the Jews were looking for. That's what Israel was looking for when Jesus came the first time, all right? And that's why John, uh, John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at what hand, all right? So from John the Baptist up until the time that they denied Jesus Christ. And you need go, I'm going to, we're going to turn there so you can put some pencil marks in here, all right? Because this is the part where the kingdom of, this is the part where the kingdom gospel started. Matthew 3, with John the Baptist. Matthew 3, 2, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so God made the promise that there was going to be an eternal kingdom through David's seed. And then after Israel was taken to Babylon and there was all kinds of captivity and they were rejected from the land, the times of the Gentiles have taken over. But now we have Jesus is already walking the earth when John says this. The king is on the earth, all right, so John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. All right? Now go over to Luke 19:41. So all this time the kingdom is on earth. And in Luke chapter 19 verse 41, 1941, it says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. And he said, if thou had known even you, at least in this thy day, say thy day. Or the day. The things which belong unto your peace. But now they are hid. From your eyes. Remember when Pastor taught us in Romans? It said the gospel has been hidden from them, but for a season. Well, this is exactly where it happened right here. He said, "If you had known the things that belong to your peace," in other words, I'm the one that is going to bring peace to Jerusalem, but you're not going to receive me. All right, you're not going to receive me. And 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 John. Go over to John 19, 15, and this is where they reject Jesus. This is where they officially reject Jesus as their king and Messiah. John 19, 15, when they were standing in front of Pontius Pilate. And in verse 14 of chapter 19 in the gospel of John, it says, and when the preparation of the... And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said, Pontius Pilate said unto the Jews, behold, your king. In verse 15, but they cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests or the leaders of Israel said, we have no king but Caesar. And that was their official declaration that this man is not our king. All right. Now, that sounds pretty bad. But at that moment, they crucified Jesus, as we know. The kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom or the kingdom that was promised to David, that is like a gigantic pause button. That kingdom is no longer happening right now. All right. And that's what Romans 11 and 12 was all about. But it's for our benefit because we know that had they not, if he had not been crucified, if he had not been rejected, then we would not be standing here saved today. Amen. That's right. we, his rejection led to our acceptance. Praise God. And that is what we call the gospel of grace. All right. And we can find the gospel of grace in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And this is when Paul is making a defense for himself. um, When he was at Jerusalem. Say amen when you're there. Acts chapter 20 is where we're at. Acts chapter 20. And I want to look for, um, I got my chapter number there, but I don't have my verse number there. So let me see where it's at real fast. That's not very smart, is it? Turn to Acts chapter 20. A lot of verses in 20. Um, Let's see. There it is. Verse 24. Now, remember, he's talking to the, uh, to the elders of the... If, um, actually, it's not Jerusalem, sorry. He's in Ephesus here, just outside of Ephesus, Ephesus talking to the <laughs> Ephesian elders. And he said, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify... The gospel of the grace of God, all right? The gospel of the grace of God. What is the gospel of the grace of God? You heard me say it many times from the pulpit first, in First Corinthians. He says, I received what I've also, what I've given you. I've also received how that Christ died. Christ rose from the dead. Amen. I'm I don't want to misquote it, so I'm going to turn there myself because it's it's worth uh, it's worth getting it right. Hold on a minute here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, probably the greatest chapter in the New Testament in my opinion, other than maybe Romans 8. He said 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Peter and the twelve. And after that he was seen above over 500 brethren. All right? All right. So it wasn't something done in a corner. Many people saw that Jesus did rise from the dead. As a matter of fact, Matthew said when Jesus rose from the dead, there were other graves that were opened as well. Amen? So it was a big deal. And so that is the gospel of the grace of God. All right? And then closing with this, the last thing, Revelations 14, 6. Revelation fourteen six. This is called the everlasting gospel. And he says, I saw an, another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. The hour of his judgment has come. How can judgment be the gospel? How can judgment be good news? What did Paul tell us as a Christian? We're not supposed to seek revenge. Because the Bible says, vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. If our brothers and sisters over in the third world countries, say in the Middle East, are persecuted and they are Um, Their heads are cut off or they're bound to stakes and they're set on fire and they lose their life for their testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we as Christian brothers and sisters to take up arms and to go over there and fight a war on behalf of them? That is not what the Bible teaches us. Now what our governments decide to do and what the political scene I'm not getting involved in that, okay? I'm saying that the Bible teaches us that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, when the wrath of God is poured out, there is a great celebration in heaven because God is finally going to give the people what they so rightfully deserve. And I know that some people, that may be a hard pill to swallow, okay? But when you go somewhere, like our dear sister, she had to wait, Ruth, she had to wait so long for justice to be brought to her family when they were wronged. And when, I don't know whether you've ever been through it, but you know, if you was to lose a loved one or something, or you were wronged by somebody at the hand of another, we have courts in our system and our courts bring justice to that situation. Now, it doesn't make you feel any better as far as it won't bring a person back, okay? But there is a relief that justice is served. And the earth is crying out for the justice of Almighty God to be served on the nations that have persecuted his saints and his prophets and his holy men and women. There's, 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 you know, that's just the way it is. Justice will be done, and that's God's judgment. You know, people were not going to be able to continue to get away with blaspheming the name of the Lord, with killing innocent people, with living in complete debauchery, with taking advantage of children, taking advantage of weak ones. The world is not going to continue the way it is eventually. The judgment of God will come to planet earth. And whether we receive it or not, it's good news. It's the gospel because he is going to make an end of it. Amen. And how many know we need an end of it? Amen. Do we need an end of it? We need an end of it. But it's also motivation that we need to preach the gospel of reconciliation the word of reconciliation or the gospel of the grace of god which is one of peace that's the good news that we're to be preaching now all right but later on he'll be preaching another gospel amen so praise god and we'll close with that amen praise god i hope you got something out of that tonight father we thank you for your word thank you lord that you have delivered us from the